0: graduation, how many of you know that the the music that they play for graduation pomp and circumstance? Do you know that it was, it was actually it said King Edward the seventh eighteen forty one to nineteen ten British king who actually took the music of this guy, his name is, was Edward Elgar. Elger, and he said it should be set to words. so he had a poet whose name was a. C. Benson in in nineteen o two. For his coronation, he wrote the words that would go with pomp and circumstance. And it's a unique ending to pomp and circumstance. I've never known this before. I hope that it blows you away this morning. So I could be impressive, at least in that one thing. It says in the chorus, these words are repeated twice as the conclusion. God who made thee mighty, make thee mightier yet. How about that? The conclusion of pomp and circumstance in the poem that was written to go with that music is God who made thee mighty, make thee mightier yet. Isn't that what we all want to live with some coronation like that, that God says, here it is. Here, hey, you think you're you're something. Just wait till I continue the work that I began in you. Just wait till I continue the work I began in you. So you might have to just tell self. You might have to be like that self. You just wait. Remember the word I use? I use this one word in counsel, by the way. You can steal it, use it, declare it as your own. Might have already done it. When people begin to tell me all their failures and tell me all their problems and struggles and trials, and they even tell me how they've always been and how things have never worked out a certain way, and I just ask them to do one little thing, and you can take this to the bank. If you'll just add the word yet. Because it speaks of the possibilities that the work of God that is in you, that his intention for you, which is kind and good, and he only gives good gifts, he's going to do this for you. So if you'll, you'll use that word, I haven't come to the point of perfection yet. I'm not giving up on that pursuit yet, see? So yet is a great word to add. So I thought it was pretty cool. God who made thee mighty... Make the mightier yet. God, who began this good work in you, continue it, even perfect it, right up until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how many of you, if you're going down the wrong path, how many of you have taken a radical turn, veered off the highway, made a road where there wasn't a road? Anybody ever done that before? Done something foolish. A few weeks back or a month or so, I talked about quitting my job when it was the the manager's uh, birthday. And I said, well, just tell them that I didn't come back in. And it was such a great plan. I went ahead and followed that and I quit my job. So when the manager was expecting me to pull a double, all of a sudden it was her birthday and I didn't show up. Wow. That was radical. And I didn't call in sick. I didn't give them any other lame excuses. I just didn't show up totally irresponsible. Absolutely. How many of you have done something irresponsible like that? How many of you done something that... How many of you have a hunkering to do something irresponsible? Like you'd like to radically change your life right now. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you want to do something to see a change come about. How many of you do that? How many have you ever gotten to do it? You know what you keep doing? Plot on, plot on. Because that's faithfulness. And that's generally a good thing. And it's right But I'm telling you that in some cases, it's almost like we've got to come to a conclusion that says, how is this change going to come about in my life unless I sacrifice something that has been a constant for me? And that's where, you know, I'm coming to this place in my life. It's most frustrating. I don't know if it's the middle age crisis thing or not. Um, But the idea is, is that I'm, I'm just not very content and I'm stirred up. And Joel sometimes gets the brunt of that. You know, he gets the brunt of it. Why? Because he's the closest to me. Do You know, that's what they, they tell you, right? Offense is going to happen in, uh, from those who are closer to you because the others, you don't really give a rip. So what happens is expectations are, are great. They're high. Why? Because I also believe that God's got greatness in him. See, that that he's capable and all that kind of stuff. But but I need to find that place of wholeness and healing in there. And I realize that when I'm saying God, we just do it. Just do it. God says, I am. It's a fiery process and it's a painful process. And unfortunately, sometimes that spills out, and other people get some of the, the dross because it's bubbling off <laughs> as it's at the boiling point. Why? Because God wants it gone. See? You should be, you should be uh, I, I just want to give you, Arlene says, well, sometimes, honey, your medicine makes you a certain way. Well, that'd be a nice cop-out. I'd like to stand behind that. And I agree, sometimes that might do that. But here's the issue is, is that God is wanting to do that refining process. And, and boy, just be careful not to offer a whole bunch of excuses. In the end, what I want to see happen here, uh, bless your heart, Jane, Last week, she took it and said, hey, why don't we have some people who are willing to come and pray to come to the church? Oh, yeah, you can pray wherever you're at. That always happens, I'm going to say. I'm going to give that credit. But coming and doing something that is sacrificial, showing up in this case, I think it was Friday night or Saturday night, Friday night, um, that's sacrificial. You know what? You want to move the hand of God? You want to see something happen? You begin to do something sacrificial. If it came easy to you, if you got something for nothing, I just wonder about the real intrinsic value of that anyway. See, I can get an inheritance and somebody blessed me and I did nothing for it. I wasn't even their buddy. I didn't call them. I didn't write them. I didn't, I didn't lay hands on them. I didn't bless them. I didn't do anything to deserve it. See? So what, what does that really mean to me? Because uh, what I want to do, I wonder if you'd be like me. I'd want to duplicate that somehow. If I can just get blessed all the time without having to do anything. Anybody with me on that one? You know, somebody, I just have to make my request known. I need a car and I'll get a car. Because you'll bless me. Right? Well, that won't work, obviously. I'll have to find something else. No, here's the deal. God moves sovereignly but there's certain expectation that folks what we want to happen in our lives how many of us we want a magic pill or we want somebody to wave a wand or we want some sort of instant deliverance like this and instead most of us know that anything that has ever been accomplished in our lives it's been some sort of just hardcore work it just was excruciating sometimes in the process and that's because that's what births victory. That's what the cross is about, is an excruciating process that led to deliverance, that led that, that in this case, he says, no, no, let it be at this moment. Let it be for now, because there's a greater glory to be had. That's, the, that's really what the cross is doing. So let's go, if you're back there in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. We're going to have a few scriptures on the wall. That'll help us to track a little quicker this morning. So um, we'll do that. Fix this for next week. That's my done. Right. I'm going to uh, turn this off for a minute and replay it in, okay? So here's what happens. In 2118 is where it's going to take off from, but I see my notes that I started in Romans 12. So we'll just put that up on the wall. You don't turn there, just stay at Chronicles. But it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he wants you in this case not to be conformed, but be transformed, right? So we know what the will of God is. Go back to verse 1 then, please. I urge you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. A sacrifice means that it cost you something. It had a price attached to it. That there's something that it it required work. See, it wasn't the freebie. I got it by much sweat and tears, you could say. Any pain that you've ever gone through that's been for a purpose of God working in you a more perfect sacrifice. You need to recognize that that's part of it. And here's the other truth, is that because we're on the flip side of it, the other end of it, is that truth of what it says there, he wants you to present your bodies a living. Remember what King David said? David the psalmist, he says it this way, "'Will I praise you from the grave?' He's not asking for you to give him a sacrifice of praise from the dead place. He's saying, while you're alive, do this and you're living. And yes, I'm excruciating and I'm in pain, but you're alive. And as long as he gives you breath, he has yet to declare his glory. See, he has a purpose and he has a plan for you. And part of that will be the pain. And if he didn't spare his own son, tell me exactly why should he spare you or me? Because we don't like it. See, that's actually the way of the disciple is the way of the master. Because he's not the teacher, he's the student. So the student, which which is who we are, is yielded to the teacher. Jesus is the teacher. And he says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so it's not even reasonable that we should expect something for nothing. You know that? Not even declaring Bible verses into the air with a shofar. See, we're wanting some sort of, we want manna from heaven. Though he may do that, it may be that somebody is going to pay a price or is paying a price or has paid a price. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, this is what we're supposed to be, not conformed. I'm going to ask you a question. How conformed are you to this world? How conformed are you to a pattern which has just locked you in? That you feel like this is just, you get in the car and it's almost like it's on a its on a rail. It just takes you through the motions of, of life. I like, I read a, a little description that an employee didn't show up and it was several hours late. And that was unusual. And so all of a sudden, because this employee was rather predictable. And so now the the uh, owner of the business contacted the lady and said, uh, what's, what's going on? And the lady said, well, on the way to work this morning, I made a wrong turn, and I just decided to keep going. And I thought, do you know, as trivial as that sounds, there's something in me that just wants to do that, to, to basically cast all your... just just to throw it all, just say, forget it. You know what? If the house burnt, my house burnt right now, I'll miss pictures and there's certain things that I have. But you know what? That would be a freedom to me. Do you understand why? Because we become, the word I, I use, Joel doesn't like my use of it, but it's called beholding. It means something that, or beholden. It means that I've attached myself and a value to it and and I live my life around that thing. Do you know what the Bible says that thing then represents? An idol. I'm just going to ask you how many of us are carrying idols that we've just justified by that's just life. An idol is something you're not really willing to sacrifice or give up or you make sacrifice to that thing. Wow. It distracts you from total devotion to God. So even a husband or wife can become an idol. Hmm. That's not much of a commencement kind of conversation, is it? So let's go back to Chronicles so we can get through this. And maybe we'll learn something. What do you think? You know the, you might know it. I can't take that for granted. I have to. Preach it to you to make sure you do know it. It's it's really starts uh, way back in in uh, 21 where he says, um, verse one. Does your say the same thing? It's not going to be projected on the wall. 21 one. Somebody out there, holler out. What's verse one say? And did what? Sometimes, you know, you got it wrong if you're wanting to slam somebody for doing something wrong or evil or ignorant. Sometimes you got to remember the real, the real guy, the real one behind it is Satan himself. Do you get it? That somebody is moved and they might be doing the will of Satan, not the will of God. Every now and then, folks, it's good to put yourself in a holy place of sanctification and say, God, am I doing your will or am I doing Satan's will? And I'll tell you what, he'll make it clear. He'll speak to you if you'll have ears to, to hear. If you haven't given yourself over to it, am I doing God's will or am I doing Satan's will? Okay, we'll throw in that also your will. So it can be confusing. But here's the deal. Be willing to recognize sometimes it's Satan. He moved David to number Israel. Did David have a relationship with Satan? I'm going to say no was he tempted and drawn away and did he mess up in his life absolutely yes he knew him well enough to know that's not the direction he wanted to go he recognized when when that was happening usually but in this account right here this isn't that's not what happened david went to number the people and you know what that meant it was showing the strength of the nation in the past god was always his strength and his portion and at the end of his time he came to a place of pride and arrogance that actually said, look at all of Israel, all that, that is mine, I'm the king. And so he sent him, and, and Joab, his, his commander, he says, no, no, don't make me do this, man. This is sinful, this is wrong. And he says, you just go do what I'm telling you to do. So what we have in chapter 21 is the consequences for that. In verse uh, 11, let's let's pick it up. In verse 9, actually, it says, The Lord spoke to Gad, who is David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you, not for you, to you. So Gad came to David and, and said to him, Thus says the Lord, take for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes, While the sword of your enemies overtakes you or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Verse 13. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are very great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. Seventy thousand men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, It is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David said, uh, and the elders covered with sackcloth fell on their faces. Then David takes blame for it all in the next verses, but I want to pick up at verse 18. It says, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And Ornan was threshing wheat. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Verse 22, then David said to Ornan, give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord for the full price. You shall give it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my Lord, the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all. Verse 24, But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him, with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. The Lord commanded the angel, and he put his sword back in its sheath. At that time, when David saw the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offering were in the high place at Gibeon at that time, but David could not go before before it to inquire of God for he was terrified by the sword of the angel of the Lord. So he had to create a new place of worship. He had to find a place, and it was a place that was not... uh, It says it was then in this place, which tells you that's not the normal place. See, it tells you that there was something that the tabernacle had been moving around. Remember, that was the nature of it, is that it wasn't a one place because God was leading the people that they would assemble the tabernacle where he led them. That talks about a transient kind of lifestyle, folks. That talks about to take no coat with you. Don't worry about your money bags. That means don't worry about. And, and what happened is he created a people who were transient and able to go where he wanted them to go to be where they wanted him to be, not to become fixtures. If you remember, that's what they want to do at the Tower of Babel, become a fixture. Remember, they'll build their own little highway to heaven. He says, well, we'll mess him up. They wanted to hang out in the prayer room. Why? Because Holy Spirit's being revealed there. They wanted to just hang out. God comes and says, get out of here. Go. Didn't I tell you to go? Go, go, go. Ready? Go. So what happens is we're continually trying to dig in and put in roots and build the foundation. And God says, I am the foundation. Build not on man's foundation. Build on my foundation. And yet what happens is we get preoccupied then with our life. And we fail to do what he wants us to do. So what happened is God ordained a spot. This is where the temple of Solomon was built, by the way. If you don't know it, the rest of the verses, it goes on in chapter 22. And it it talks about this is where it'll be. And that's where God says, no, no, you can't build this, dude. You got bloodshed, blood on your hands. But I'll raise up a son from from you. And he's going to be the one who will build my temple. So in the end, God led him to the place not where they were sacrificing. Where was it? Up on Gibeon? Not to Gibeon. He says, I'm going to create a place for you right now. See, there was only one God, one place where you would go. And all of a sudden, it says, that's no longer convenient for fear or otherwise. So now he says what? I'm going to establish a place for you to praise me. I'm going to establish a place For you to give me offerings. Now, here's a good thing for you to know as Bible study or Bible students. You can always go into, in this case, you would go back to Leviticus to find out what those offerings were. Because he talked about a peace offering, he talked about a a grain offering, he talked about a uh, burnt offering. So I just want to tell you in this Bible, there's a little cheat sheet. Okay. It says the burnt offering the purpose was atonement for sin in general, enabling an unholy people to approach a holy God. Okay, then it tells you what that was. Well, here's another rendition of it is a personal presenting to God a cheerful volunteer. Now I want you to think about that in light of offering, in light of sacrifice, in light of you coming before God and giving him. He loves a cheerful Giver. We're not talking about money. We're talking about your whole life. The second one, the grain offering, that's the burnt offering. The grain offering is, says is an expression of thanksgiving and dedication to God. It's a gift or tribute. A gift or tribute. That was flour or grain. The peace offering is also called fellowship, an expression of gratitude and desire for fellowship with God. So do you see what was happening? His sin had separated David, and God says, you make this offering, and here it is, and David knew exactly the type of offering he needed to, to make. That's exactly what he wants from you folks. He wants you to, to confess your sins before him. He wants you to receive what he's done on the on the cross for your sins. And then he wants you to be able to Live your life as an offering to him, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. See? So God's very clearly and, and rather easy, he's laid it out, what, what he has for us. Now, just a couple notes I have here. One is, it says in, if, if you look in verse uh, 13, uh, 21, 13, I am in great distress, David says, please let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, and do not let me fall into the hand of man. In the end, the right answer was God, was God's answer. He didn't want to give an answer. He says, here, instead, God, you be the one. See, what we sometimes do is we come before God, and we tell him what we want him to answer. We give him our expectations, even our declarations, because even the word of God sometimes says, so we want to declare it. And sometimes the right posture is, is to recognize where you're at. It may be in the place where you don't make the declaration. You just say, God, I trust you. Wow, what freedom that would bring. God, I trust you. And then the idea that when he says you are going to build this and do it here on Ornan's threshing floor, that he determines the place of praise in our lives. Do you know that's my prayer for people when they come to New Life Fellowship? Is that you're here by your planting of the Lord. You're not here because of something, attitude on your own. It's not a matter of where you want to be. It's a matter of where he wants you to be. He's ordained a place of praise. So if you'll be there where that is, wherever that is, not just appear in the tickling or the feel-good stuff, then guess what? He's going to bring forth praise out of that place for his own glory. Why? Because he's going to work all things together for his good. And if you'll be part of that, that's why we stick to it. That's why we don't give up. We don't quit. We don't just... Why? Because we might miss that we were part of an instrument of peace that God wanted to bring. Amen? And the last one is over on verse, uh, by the way, 25. Who's got a calculator in your hand? I think it's around $260,000, $240,000. But take 240 times, what's the going rate of gold right now? Somewhere around $1,850 an ounce. I think that's the last I heard. 1840 times 240 ounces. $1,840, $444,000. Eighteen hundred and forty dollars, four hundred forty-four thousand dollars. That's what the offering was. That's what he paid for that threshing floor. Now that was back in his day, so I'm going to tell you that that amount of money was even more amazing in in the day here of B B C. So here's the other thing that happens is when he made uh, when he made the offering. He offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. If you go back to Leviticus and you study from Leviticus 1, it starts right out and tells you about the the burnt offering. What will happen is, is you realize how exquisite it was and the attention to detail that, that was required. And in the end, what you'll realize is David, when it says that he answered him with fire from heaven, David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Folks, if you don't know what that means... Go back and read Leviticus and see what in those first three or four chapters, what that meant, what the offering required. And then you'll understand David didn't take any shortcuts. You and me, we're shortcut people, aren't we? Quickest way between two points is a straight line. We like taking the shortcuts. We like getting it easy. We like making things that that happen without a whole lot of work on our part. That's called lazy. You could say that's wisdom. You could say that's smart. I'm just going to tell you, sometimes God doesn't tell us to take the short path, to take the easy way. He faced it himself when he says, if possible, let this cup pass before me. But nonetheless, nonetheless, let your will be done. Folks, that's where we're at this morning. We're at a point where you have to say, maybe it's a matter of, God says in Matthew, he said, I don't desire sacrifice. What's he want? He's after compassion. He's after obedience. To be obedient to God, then you don't have to worry where you're walking. Because once you begin being obedient to him and you just set your heart to be obedient, you're going to continue to walk in his ways. And you'll find yourself, strangely, right there in the middle of his will, in the midst of everything. You just can't veer off to the right or the left, as the scripture says, right? Could you put Hosea 6-6 up for me? For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Sometimes, folks, you come into to a church where it seems like it's dead and you don't agree with the guy and his preaching is dry and you got he's got problems or issues. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise and I'm telling you, God is pleased with your loyalty. I like it too. But I'm just telling you, sometimes... Why would you stay in Shadyside, Ohio? Because you're going to be loyal to the call of God. That's for the preacher. Why are you going to continue to love on somebody? Why are you going to continue to forgive them? Why are you going to do anything? You're going to do it out of obedience to God. You're going to do it because he says, if you don't quit, you'll reap a harvest. And he wants us to reap a holy harvest. The last one is Ephesians chapter 5. First two verses declares it about sacrifice again. Says that uh, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You'll find out that that's part of the sacrifice back in in Leviticus. That grain and that 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 uh, animal that was sacrificed. And as the fire consumed it that it was pleasing to God because it represented sacrifice they had to take from their from their uh their herd the best they didn't get to consume it for themselves they had to offer it sometimes folks that's hard cuz if you had two cars out there Kevin where's Kevin I'll bet you would you rather give the Corolla or your Subaru if you're supposed to give one to to somebody right now yeah and you know why? Because I'm telling you, if you've got two cars and one's better and one's not, let's be honest, you might give away the one that's the lesser. Now, not always. Sometimes I know people who have done just the opposite. But I'm saying is that's what we have to know about who we are outside of the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God will cause you to do weird things. It will cause you to, to give somebody the best, the first fruits, not the, not the leftovers. Amen. So this morning, I want you to give God your best because he's given our best. Give him your best to receive his best. We're talking about communion right now. We've already asked you to bow your hearts and to ask God for forgiveness, to ask for him to, to cleanse you. The blood of the Lord Jesus that you would think would stain is actually just the opposite. It shows the very aspect of God that he does things in his own way, his thoughts, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And with it comes the reversal of fortunes. With it, he cleanses us and washes us and takes away the sin stain because he became sin for us on our behalf. He said, me, God, not them, me. Would you do business with God right now, asking him to come in and to forgive you? Reveal that sin. I know Joseph has a song. If you'll come on, come on up, Joseph. I'm creating plan right now. Grover says, join me, come to my church where the members are nice, friendly, and humble themselves to the Lord. We have a small church in Shadyside, Ohio. It sits on top of a hill which opens up to the heavens. If you believe in God and Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Come and worship with us, relax, enjoy the music, and praise God with us. You've been a good friend. Please write a letter and pass it on to another friend who may be seeking God you might want to write a favorite scripture of yours and pass it on to four or five people. My favorite scripture is Psalm eighty nine forty eight. No one can live forever. All will die. Not one can escape the power of the grave. What profound words of the fate of every person. I don't know. It just seems so simple that I'm thinking it'll work. Just writing a little letter that says, here it is Now, Here's the difference between the Old and the New Testament. We can escape the power of the grave. But leave them hanging there until they learn Christ, Grover. We can escape the power of the grave. Because the grave, the sting of death, has been lost by the power of the cross. Amen? Let's let Joseph minister to us in song, and then we'll come right back for communion and we're done.